This is Epicenter, episode 327 with guest Itamar Le Suisse. Hey there, Sebastian here. You know, the podcaster-listener relationship is too unbalanced. You know us a lot better than we know you, and we want to narrow that gap. So please do me a favor and answer our audience survey. It takes four minutes, and it will help us to continue producing content that informs and inspires you. You can find the survey at epicenter.rocks survey. And at the end, I'll tell you how you can get a free KeepKey hardware wallet, courtesy of Shapeshift, to thank you for your time. So thanks in advance, and on with the show. Hi, welcome to Epicenter. My name is Sebastien Couture. Today, our guest is Itamar Le Suisse. Itamar is the CEO of Argent. It's an Ethereum smart contract wallet, which has a number of great features. And in my opinion, it's one of the best wallets for DeFi. So as a smart contract wallet, it has many of the features that you would expect in terms of security and wallet recovery, but also it has native support for DeFi savings products like Compound and Dai savings accounts also has borrowing through Maker and supports NFTs. I've been using Argent for about six months. The onboarding experience is absolutely terrific. If you use something like Revolut or N26, the experience is much closer to that of a refined fintech product than of most crypto wallets. Uh, one of the really cool things about Argent is this concept of guardians. They can be people you trust, but also devices that you own like other smartphones or hardware wallets. And they can help you in a number of ways to do things like lock your wallet if your phone has been stolen or recover your wallet on a new device. Not long ago, a friend of mine bought a new iPhone and uh, sent me a recovery request through Argent and within 24 hours had fully recovered his wallet without any seed or backup key or anything like that. So that experience was really seamless. The other great thing about Argent is that they've implemented metatransactions, which removes a lot of the barriers that people face when entering the space. So with Argent, you could download the wallet, create your account, buy Ether with your credit card, and put that Ether in Compound to start gaining interest in probably less than 10 minutes. You know, compare that to the experience of first having to buy Ether in order to pay for the gas to deploy the smart contract. For most people who don't have the right technical background, I think these barriers can make it very difficult, perhaps even impossible to even enter the DeFi space. And so having that seamlessly integrated into the app is a great benefit. Argent is still in invite-only mode, but they were nice enough to set up a special URL for Epicenter listeners that allows you to skip the lineup. And the link for that is in the show notes. Frederica and I did this interview and it was a lot of fun. Itamar was a great guest. So we talked about Argent, we talked about the vision, how the product works, but also discussed the general state of the wallet space and talked about some bigger trends in DeFi. So, bit of housekeeping. We're going to be at ETCC on the week of March 2nd. The conference is on the 3rd, 4th, and 5th, and the hackathon is happening over the weekend on the 6th, 7th, and 8th. I know the Ethereum France folks really well, and they are working their butts off to put on the best community conference in Europe this year. The speaker list is massive. If you go to the website, ecc.io, you can check out all the speakers. And I happen to know, I don't know if the, I can talk about this yet, but Vitalik Buterin and Joe Lubin have confirmed they will be speaking. And on Wednesday the 4th, 
Epicenter is having a casual drinks meetup. Frederica, Sunny, and I will all be there, and it will be our absolute pleasure to hang out with you and have a couple of drinks in Paris. Before we go to the interview, I'd like to tell you about our sponsors for today's episode, starting with Pepo, where the crypto community comes together with short video updates and tokens of appreciation. And boy, the crypto community is really coming together on Pepo this week. I don't know if you've heard, but there's a little event going on right now called ETH Denver, and there have been tons of new people joining Pepo, posting content from the conference and conversations and some of the cool things that are happening at East Denver. And I couldn't make it, unfortunately, but I felt that I was there because I was just following all of the stuff that's happening at East Denver. So that's been really cool to follow and be a part of. Go to pepo.com slash epicenter to download the app. You can follow me there. I'm at Seb 2.0 and I post there almost daily. I post updates about what's going on at Epicenter. I let people know when we have guests scheduled for the podcast so that they can ask questions and help us prepare the interview. And yeah, it's just been a great experience. I really like the community there and I hope to see you there as well. So thanks to Pepo for sponsoring Epicenter. We are also brought to you by Status. And I am so happy to tell you that Status is finally out of beta and available in the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. Once you've installed it, join the public channel, hashtag Epicenter, come and say hi, and we'll give you some ST tokens so you can get started and do things like create your own ENS domain. Now that they've released a mobile app, they can get to work on building more infrastructure, developer tooling, and end-user products that align with their mission to enable sovereignty and creating open-source software as a public good. Let me give you a couple of examples. There's Nimbus, the ETH 2.0 client for resource-restricted devices. There's VAC P2P, the modular messaging protocol for private and secure communication that status leverages. There's Embark, which is a robust framework for creating DAP. They have Keycard a secure contactless open source hardware wallet API for people to be able to store their private keys securely. These are all projects that make up the robust and powerful ecosystem that is the Status Network. Go to statusnetwork.com to learn about everything that they're building. And of course, you can go to status.im to learn more about the Status Messaging app, which you can download in the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. And with that, here's our interview with Itamar Le Suisse. We're here today with Itamar Le Suisse, who is the founder of Argent. Uh, Argent is a great smart contract wallet for Ethereum and has a lot of built-in DeFi applications, which is really nice, but also uh, includes some really neat and very useful uh, social recovery features that we'll talk about in uh, this podcast. Itamar and I met the first time, I think it was, was it at DapCon last year? And we had a panel about user experience. Am I remembering that right? That's correct. Yeah, and so you know, one of the things that's great about uh, Argent is that it's it's got a really great UX, and uh, the onboarding is really seamless, and it really it's a really polished application. So, Itamar, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Sebastian. Thanks, Frederica, for having me. So let's start with a bit of background. I believe this is not your first entrepreneurial endeavor. Tell us what you were doing before. Uh, founding Argent. Yeah, so this is my third startup. I mean, my background, I've been, I'm an engineer. I've worked in companies on, as project manager, like I worked at Amazon, worked at Visa and Payment, uh, had a few startups. The last one was a very large uh, mobile, the largest actually mobile brain training application in the world. We had 60 million users and we were running a very large subscription business for a speak. 
how did you move into crypto? What piqued your interest and uh, when did all of this happen? It's a good question. When was it? So in 2016, we sold, uh, we sold Peak to a very large book publisher. Uh, so the, for the first time, I had a bit of free time and uh, available cash. One of my uh, employees in the team was telling me about this great, uh, great platform that was Ethereum. And actually, that's the Ether is the first crypto I bought. I knew about blockchain more as a technology. My, the two friends who are my co-founders here at Argent were talking a lot about blockchain, but I never really got what it was. When I bought my first ETH, I transferred it from an exchange to my hardware wallet. That's when I really had uh, this moment where I saw, okay, this, I know payment very well. I know how a visa payment works. And now suddenly I can move money in a trustless way. Uh, with now middleman. So that really was the moment for me. But clearly something wasn't quite right because you felt the need to start Argent. So what exactly was missing? What exactly were you trying to build? So initially we were fascinated by Ethereum because it was a, a platform on top of which we could build software. So we saw really that as a new, uh, you know, between you had mainframe, computer, server, suddenly you had this new, uh, new paradigm. And we also knew that we, we love doing consumer products. Uh, so two of the co-founders, Gerald and I, came from the consumer world. But then you know, after a bit of thinking, it was clear it was not ready for that because we felt the core experience of uh, interacting with, with Ethereum wasn't there. We think in, in terms of large number, we thought, could a billion people write down the seed phrase on a piece of paper? It was clear the answer was no. Uh, so we thought, let's, let's solve that. That's the biggest issue. And like I mentioned earlier, Argent has a, a really great onboarding experience. Where did you get sort of the inspiration for what you wanted Argent to become in, in terms of a, of a user experience overall? So... If you look at our mission, it's quite simple. We, we want people to own, control, and benefit from these assets, from their assets and their identity. So we started with some very clear uh, constraint. Uh, we wanted uh, an experience that was super easy, that would work for a billion people. We wanted an experience that was non-custodial. So people had to own it, had to be in control. And we wanted an experience that was as safe as the safest, you know, we wanted something where people, that would replace their bank account. It had to be safe and you needed that peace of mind. So we then started from that experience. So, you know, the onboarding of Arjun is not that different of any web to app. It's not too different from joining, I don't know, WhatsApp, Telegram or, or the apps. We started from this constraint. We looked at all the friction points we had to eliminate. The obvious one is seed phrase. We actually saw uh, gas as a friction. So we looked at getting rid of that. And then in everything we do, when you, when you interact with a DeFi protocol, doing an ERC-20 approved is also a friction point. So all of these steps, we saw them as friction point. We built first the, the UX we felt we should achieve. Then we looked at uh, what technology would allow us to to achieve that. And that's how we became a smart contract wallet. That's interesting. I think we talked about this during the panel too, which was like, what comes first? Is it the UX that comes first or is it the technology that informs the UX? Because it was certain things simply aren't possible yet. How do you sort of balance that? So 
people see you, sometimes UX as design, my user interface in front of me. It's not it. We, you know, the, the prototype we had in, I don't know, December 2017, which had no design, which was ugly, which was, I mean, just one of my co-founders worked on it, was already had that great UX. It was already a super safe model with a great recovery, uh, with all the abstraction you needed. And but so so we started from that user experience. We started from you know we wanted so recovery for us. We do the parallel with a mental model you know, which is your bank. You you lose your wallet. You call someone that you trust and you tell them, look, I lost my wallet. Freeze my card. Send me a new one. Uh, so we said we looked at how can we. Uh, reproduce that same mental model uh, in this completely new space. And I think it can't be stressed enough. So if you're not on Argent, absolutely try it out. So the the onboarding experience is super slick. It's a really polished product. Actually using it, it's more like using a Web2 application like, you know, like N26 or Revolut banking app rather than a Web3 product. So kudos to you guys for that. It's really cool. What I wonder is, how did you decide to actually make this a mobile wallet? Was that because basically your expertise was in mobile um, or was that a conscious decision? It's a good question. Uh, it's interesting to revisit uh, how things uh, happened. I don't think we thought about it too much. I mean, first, we saw these little bespoke USB keys used to store crypto, these hardware wallets. We thought, look, every piece of device that we own is being replaced. There's no more camera. You don't record things with a mic anymore. You use your phone. Everything has been replaced with our phone. And uh, how come that now we would have some bespoke hardware that is not our phone? So there, there was an element of, look, it makes sense. It's in my pocket. It's actually a quite secure device compared to a, to a laptop. The second thing is if you just look at the entire world and the, I think the mission of crypto, that should also be anyone with a phone in their pocket can access a global, transparent, open system. A lot of, you know, many more billion people have a phone than have a desktop. So the phone is the most ubiquitous platform and smartphone amongst that is, is taking you know, bigger and bigger chair. So the smartphone is the device that has that ubiquitous and global footprint and takes more and more of, uh, of attention of people. That's where we spend our time. So it was just a no-brainer. And you mentioned N26 Revolut. Think about these platforms. They are actually mobile only uh, for retail users. Well, m mobile first, at least. So they all have like a, a, a website uh, that you can interact with. But uh, yeah, they're very much uh, mobile first. I think Revolut doesn't actually for retail users. We have one for the business, but uh, it's really as extreme that some do not have. Monzo in the UK doesn't. It's why I don't know about N26 that just shut down from the UK, so I couldn't test. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I heard. So I'm an N26 user and I can assure you, so they have a website version. It doesn't have all the features of the app, but uh, they do have that. Okay, nice. So let's talk about the social recovery feature, which is, uh, I think, one of the really unique things about Argent. So with social recovery, essentially, the idea is that you as a user can rely on you know, your, your sort of network of people around you, sort of your close friends and surroundings to recover your, your wallet and do other things like lock your wallet if, if, you, if you lost your phone or um, surpass, uh, say, spending limits or things like this. This is a pretty unique concept, you know, that even we don't see this in sort of banking apps or anything like that because there's always a third party. 
Do you think that this is something that people generally feel comfortable with? Um, what has been the reception to this idea of social recovery in your experience? So f- first, you'll notice that uh, Arjun never talks about this as social recovery, but I think the, the term uh, sticks more than uh, delegated recovery or guardians. We never saw it as uh, it's all about my friends securing my wallet. Uh, what we built was a framework that allowed a, a mental model similar to your bank, as I said. It's really, we looked, what do I do when I lose my wallet in real life? I call some kind of entity that I trust that entity. I, I trust that entity and that entity knows me. They can recognize me. And I ask them to freeze my card and send me a new one. And it, it's quite smooth. That's really what we have created with delegated recovery. At the end, uh, a guardian in Arjun can be any Ethereum address. It can be an EOA, uh, so a wallet, it can be a smart contract, it can be a multisig, it can be really anything. And then in the app, we picked some, uh, some use case. Anyone could build a new guardian service. So you have users that use Arjun Guard, which is really a custodian service that with all keys, these keys do not have your funds, uh, these keys do not have uh, access to your money, uh, to your assets. It's a service you trust to trigger recovery. Some other will use friends, family, so other human beings that have the Arjun app, but you can also be your own guardian, which actually quite popular use case. Many people will just use another device. It can be another phone, it can be a hardware wallet, can be MetaMask, can be anything that has an Ethereum address. Um, that's really how we saw it from start. So friends, family, we see... Yeah, it is a use case, uh, but I think you will see that a lot of people wouldn't trust their partner uh, or their friends for that. I think it's also related to technical literacy. So if you have very technical friends or or partner, you might trust them. Uh, So we we love the model. I use human beings as guardians, but in some other use case, you, you will, depending on everyone's context, they might prefer to be their own guardian or to actually trust a third party. It's a quite common use case too, because this third party, whether it's Arjun or others, cannot access your funds. So you, you do have that peace of mind. So walk me through the process. Say um, I lose my phone and I had set up three guardians. So Arjun uh, guardian service, my ledger and uh, my friend. So now I lose my phone. What, what do I have to do to recover my account? So you get a new phone, you reinstall the app, you put your username, and then you will need, you mentioned a use case with three guardians, you will need a majority, so you will need two guardians to approve the recovery. So out of the three, so if it's Argent Guard, you will interact with us in a, with two-factor authentication, and then the, the transaction will be fired. With your hardware wallet, you will do it yourself. So you will go on your website, you will plug your hardware wallet, and you will sign this approval. And if it's your friend, you will literally talk to them, call them, whatever channel you want, and you will tell them, can you go in the Arjun app and approve my recovery? Cool. And in the meantime, say, I, I, I have lost my phone. Um, can I also lock, lock the account? Yes. So if you believe someone could have access to it, the reality is that it's extremely hard, I won't say impossible, but to, you know, if you had biometric encryption, uh, a PIN, it's very unlikely someone will be able not only to unlock your phone, then to unlock Arjun, but if you wanted, indeed, you could go to a guardian. You don't need a majority. You can go to a guardian, ask them to put a freeze on your account. So if you have your hardware wallet, you would do it yourself. And it puts a five days freeze to your account, exactly like you would on Revolut on 26, tap freeze and it would freeze a card for a time period. 
So this is an interesting scenario because I think there are many circumstances around which one could lose a device and perhaps even lose many devices, right? So let's let's just take the, the example of like you're traveling and you get your bag stolen and your bag has your laptop and your phone in it. I mean, personally, if that were to happen to me, I think I'd maybe know two people that I actually know their phone numbers off the top of my head. And those are not my guardians on uh, on Argent. I mean, of course, that, that's a that's a really extreme situation. And I think that most people that find themselves would find themselves in that situation would be pretty handicapped in their ability to communicate. But are there any scenarios that you've seen users actually going through the recovery process where they found themselves in very extreme situations and where they were able to you know, leverage the Guardian feature to either freeze their accounts or recover their accounts in, in this sort of time of emergency? Yeah, I mean, that happens more than you would think. <laughs> we at, at start, the main use case, uh, and of course, we don't see all of them. So it's the people who contact us or, or sometimes tweet about it. It's really people getting their device destroyed. You know, so we saw a lot of that. They would trigger a recovery. 36 hours later, they would access have access to their wallet. This morning, we had actually someone I knew was uh, is traveling the world, got his phone stolen with quite a bit of crypto. And, you know, it was really seamless for him to get back access. I think it happens more often than we want. It's really about peace of mind. I hope you will never have to use your guardians. But it's always good to, you know, the date it happens, I think it's important to create that very frictionless experience, but it's really about the stress level. If we can maintain that, if you have that peace of mind, you know you will get back uh, access to your money. And some people contact support, especially at the early days. We were, you know, we didn't have like perfect flow everywhere. And we would tell people, look, we can see at smart contract level, you have guardians, everything will be fine. Your phone is destroyed, so no one has access to it. Let's go through it together. And so we had to improve this experience really to create that peace of mind and people know they would have access back to their, to their funds. The social recovery is one of the features that is enabled by using a smart contract as a wallet, but there are others, right? So there's things like batching transactions, using meta transactions, and uh, doing other more, you know, more complex step interactions with it. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so very early on, when we started working, we didn't know it would be called meta transaction, but I think several teams in parallel were working on this idea. And suddenly, uh, very early on, we worked on it. For us, the main reason to work on it was really the gas abstraction. So we had an issue with the idea that you would have to top up some little gas station within your phone so that you can submit transactions. And that's really why we started to work with meta transaction then realized, look, let's let's just get rid of the notion of gas in the app uh, and we'll pay for it. We realize it's, it's, it's small enough and people shouldn't have to worry about these little fees. In Web2, we, you know, we abstract the cost of our AWS servers or whatever other products we use. We thought, let's, let's do the same. Uh, it started that way. And then, you know, bit by bit, you just get excited by everything you can do. So you mentioned batch transaction. We, we were not using much of it until, uh, well, we were using it internally. So in a bit different way, it's more we were orchestrating actions within the wallet. So 
the, the fun use case where someone closing a, a CDP on Argent, we would automatically like exchange ETH into DAI and, and uh, MKR uh, through Uniswap to pay for their CDP fees. And then we would close the CDPs and all that would happen within one atomic transaction. So that was really, really fun. But what you can do also with that is, for example, get rid of uh, the RC20 approve. So we now have DAP starting to implement this, where you do one action with Arjun, like um, buy a pull together ticket, put money in compound, and the two actions, which are the, the ERC20 approve and the actual transaction or opening of your of that account, will happen within the same atomic transaction. And that really, for us, that's a breakthrough in terms of user experience because you can abstract so many steps. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And basically, if you go to the wallet, you can actually use DeFi products natively out of the wallet and have it done in one click. So can, can you talk about the kind of things you can actually do out of these, uh, out of the Argent wallet? So when within our, the Argent wallet today, what, you know, the first few dApps we got excited about and integrated is, was first of you see an exchange. So we thought we should have a, a decentralized exchange within Argent. We, at that time, really, we felt Kyber had a lot of, it was before all these DEXs existed, but Kyber uh, very early on had a very interesting model because it was so simple for users with that swap experience. We didn't want like an order book within Argent. So we integrated Kyber. And again, it's exactly the same than exchanging currency in Revolut. You, put, you type an amount, you push a button, done. That was the first integration we did. Then came things like Compound. We got very excited again because the, the offering was so simple. You put $100 in something and you will get interest back. That's really, I can explain that to anyone. So we thought, okay, we can integrate Compound in a way that is so seamless. It will take five seconds to join. It will be as easy to, easier than opening, way easier than opening a savings account in the, in the current financial world. Uh, so Compound is integrated natively, the DSR. So similar offering, a savings account to the maker DSR. We also added in the past the ability to open uh, CDP. So make what will will migrate now to a new model, which is a Maker Vault, which is a more advanced use case. But we were just super excited <laughs> because we could orchestrate and simplify like seven transactions into one. We thought we'd just have to do it because it's really cool. There's so many other uh, dApps uh, that you could integrate into Argent. And I'm sure that you're already planning to integrate new ones uh, you know, in versions to come, but... How do you decide which uh, dApps to integrate within Argent? Are there any evaluation criteria there for making those decisions? Yeah, so we've been you know, debating, discussing that for a long, long, long time. There is, on one end, we want to simplify things for users, to create very simple options. But we also realized, uh, you know, this DeFi world is, ex is so new. I mean, it's amazing that we just passed the $1 billion bar in DeFi, but it's so new. No one knows what will happen next week, next month, next year. So the current direction is to be more open, to have much more DeFi protocols, and to really have as much transparency as possible, making it clear that this is the protocol you interact with, that there are risks, and, and you know, do not take a too, too much of a hands-on uh, approach there in saying, okay, you are not allowed to be in. At the end, it's your wallet, it's your identity. You should be able to interact with any protocol. Uh, of course, we might not prioritize something where we have a feeling that it's a bit dodgy. And that's very hard. What is that feeling? It can be related to who is behind the project. 
was there an audit behind, etc. Uh, it might just be that we put a big red flag on, on this project. With this vision of being more open, that's also why we have implemented Wallet Connect. Yes, we can improve experience by making things native into the app, but in any case, through Wallet Connect uh, or other options like that, you will be able to interact in the future with any DAP. It's really up to you. And then it wouldn't necessarily be seen as an endorsement, as I would take the stance it currently is if it's integrated into an Argent wallet. Um, I don't think all users actually have the crypto expertise to say this is this is a good protocol and on this one, I'm not so sure about the smart contract security. Do you see any legal problems coming up with um, integrating access to other dApps natively into your browser or into into your wallet is that is that something that you guys think about so we think about that and that's why we we so far we decide not to make an endorsement of this project in the sense we could easily say look let's have only the dsr natively let's make let's just call it the argent savings account let's not let's abstract all these things or make it automatic for your uh, your fans to go there we said look for the first for the mid, short to midterm, it's still a world with relatively, I would say, crypto curious users. We still let, let's go step by step, and so let's not endorse. Let's make it very clear that you're interacting with something that is not Argent, that is a third party, and, and partly because we we wouldn't want to have you know this legal responsibility there. So legally, we are taking the right step. Our worry is more vis-a-vis -vis our users. Uh, you know, if you interact with a protocol and something goes very wrong. Uh, they will contact us. <laughs> we we seem to be the, the one of the few companies with the customer support, which sadly it's me. But <laughs> we just hired someone, so uh, it, it's going better. My life is, is is improving now. But you know, we we have one way or the other a responsibility vis-a-vis -vis our users. So we will uh, will keep you know an eye on that and making sure we warn users if we feel something is a very advanced feature that they might not want. To use even things like CDP, uh, you know, we'll, Maker Team is fantastic, but it's a complex product. People have to realize. People, we, we live in that bubble, and we think everyone understands everything. You have to realize that many users entering this space hear, for example, about amazing interest rate on Dai, so they buy ETH, they lock it in a CDP, so that they can have Dai, and then they put that in Compound, and then they realize, wait, but I'm paying interest on the CDP, but then. I gain interest in compound, what's the point? So we have to explain them. No, you, you have to trade your ETH to die. You shouldn't open a CDP. And uh, it, it's not straightforward at all. So really being very transparent and explaining things as clearly as possible is definitely within our responsibility. The fact that you're using Ethereum smart contracts is, is interesting because it allows you to leverage the social recovery uh, aspect and also um, integrate lots of DeFi apps uh, on Ethereum. But the DeFi space is growing, and it's quite likely that in the future, DeFi will also include apps on Cosmos and on Polkadot and other blockchains. Uh, and you know, of course, there's the big guy in the room, which is Bitcoin. What's your approach here? Do you, how, do you, how do you see Argent uh, evolving in the future in, in this context? And do you think that at some point you'll need to consider uh, options to add other networks to Argent? So philosophically, we think users in the future will not care and will not know uh, which blockchain they are interacting with. So for us, it should all be abstracted. We are, you know, very bullish on Ethereum. Uh, that's where we see 
ton of developer activity and this developer act- ecosystem is what bring this richness and all these new protocols. If there were some super valuable DeFi product only available on the blockchain, then we would definitely uh, consider it. We have ideas, we have plans, we have solutions for all these things. I think uh, what we are probably a bit less uh, excited is just listing all the blockchain one by one just to have their core token because as speculative assets. It won't last forever that you can have a hundred assets uh, or thousand assets uh, that might all uh, increase tenfold in value. Uh, Bitcoin is, of course, a bit different. I mean, it might not forever do this, but it might still be a very interesting store of value. And especially what I'm more excited is maybe having the, uh, Bitcoin play a role within, within DeFi. Uh, on Ethereum. So I think there, there's something quite interesting. We follow very closely, for example, TBTC, where that is launching very soon. And I think we'll see some interesting stuff around that. But how would you deal with the technical limitations, for instance, of you know being able to implement social recovery of a Bitcoin wallet on, a, on an Ethereum smart contract wallet? How would you deal with that? So the, we, we wouldn't implement probably one-on-one the exact same experience, uh, but there are definitely things you can do our vision is around using Ethereum as the main operating system of your wallet. And uh, where we are very interested is could we use the, the Ethereum identity as a way to recover then your, uh, your Bitcoin wallet at a later stage? The, where I, I would say I'm still more excited about TBTC, which first is very easy for us, but also because that would allow Bitcoin to play a role within the DeFi ecosystem. And I, I would like to see that project grow. And that's where uh, I want to see things growing. Cool, super interesting. So let's switch gears a little bit. We've talked about other things that you're currently offering and are planning to offer. Let's talk about your business model. So you're VC funded currently and you're paying for a lot of um, the expenses of your users. So you pay for the deployment of the wallet, for converting tokens, registering an ENS address and so on. So how do you envisage making money in the, in the long run? Good question. I think first people need to realize that... Uh, I mean, first, we need a business model. We need to make money at some point. Uh, But it's not because of us subsidizing gas. I mean, subsidizing gas is cheaper than the cost that Revolut and and Monzo probably have uh, around many other elements that are in the current uh, financial system, which is so so clunky, so bloated that you have all these additional costs. So this is not the main issue. It's still way more expensive to buy laptops for our team than to pay for gas. There's a lot more coming into Argent. And so we, we have a lot of ideas. Uh, we will not implement monetization this year. We think there's so much more growth to come into this space that we should first focus on that and removing all that friction. So there's much more DeFi protocol that will come. Uh, potentially all of them will come within Argent. Uh, and we think there are some straightforward ways that we could monetize in the future. One inspiration we can take from products you mentioned, N26 Revolut, is the idea of maybe of a premium subscription. So you could imagine premium features for, or, or, or above a certain volume, uh, pro users would pay a small subscription every month to get access to extra stuff. The key for us in business model is to be super transparent. It's not go back into the issues of Web2. If there is a business model, it should be transparent to the user, is what you are paying for, and you are paying for value. But I think also DeFi beyond that, we could imagine creating new DeFi products, new DeFi protocols on top of others. And there is potentially a lot of a potential for, for making money. 
We are looking at things like insurance also. Uh, you could imagine new financial products built on top of the existing uh, building blocks. As long as you can add value to users, I believe there is a business model to be, to be built. I'm totally with you on that. But um, you currently have a wait list with around 1,500 people who are waiting on getting Argent wallets. So if it's not the cost of providing the service to them, why aren't you letting them have one? So is, is there another reason for kind of keeping people on the wait list? So I think today is a very valid question. At the very early days, Argent was not what it was today. Uh, it was not as polished. It was still clunky. Uh, we did a lot of work on infrastructure to have... Uh, to manage uh, big fluctuation in gas price, making sure every transaction goes through whatever happens to the to the network. No, we are getting actually very close to being able to remove it, but there are still some fundamental changes. Uh, so right now, if we just remove the waitlist right now, you would have to wait for a transaction to be mined in order to access the wallet because it's a smart contract. So we are finalizing our testing on Create2. So that as a user, you download the app 10 seconds later, you're in the wallet, you can send funds, it's, it's done to make it really seamless. So there's no more big technical hurdle. We are finalizing that. So we are very, very close to removing the waitlist. Yes. So I want to talk about the, the general state of the wallet space a little bit and more broadly, the state of sort of crypto apps in the mobile app ecosystem, there, there seems to be some kind of a tension between the need and the desire for people to have an open ecosystem. And on the other hand, the app stores, and specifically, I think the Apple App Store, which is a, it's a closed ecosystem with very tight restrictions on what kind of apps can make it into the App Store. What's your position on that? And do you think that you know, in the future, apps like Argent should be you know, open sourcing the code, their sort of application code, in addition to the, the smart contract code that's already open sourced? And how would one protect sort of their core business in that, if that were the case? Cool. So I think there are several points here. It's running software on a closed platform. First, you can open transparency, as you say, by open sourcing, but you are still running on a closed platform. And then also the impact of having that world garden on us and what type of feature we can launch. Let's let's talk first maybe about the open sourcing. Uh, it, it's been something we've been thinking about. We open source part of our work. So we have open source, of course, a smart contract from day one. That was a no-brainer. Uh, some areas of our apps we have open source, but some libraries that we think other team could benefit from. But in, indeed, the entire app was, was not open source. The issue is indeed on iOS that even if we were to open source, you couldn't guarantee that's what's running on your phone, once it goes through the App Store, you have no idea if you are downloading the same thing. On Android, it's easier. You could download an APK directly. Uh, so it's, it's a different situation. Our view from day one was that you shouldn't trust the client. You shouldn't trust our backend. If, you tr if the smart contract are open source, tested, audited, etc., if there's full transparency on the smart contract, you are secure. Because anything that happens on the client actually would be reflected. So even if some dodgy client would send your funds to another address. With any other wallet, the, you, you might see on the screen an address, but in fact, the funds go to another address. The Argent model is built so that even if that were to happen, your funds are protected because your daily limit that is visible at smart contract level with a whitelist at smart contract level would kick in and protect your phone. So of course, we have internal process to ensure 
strong security, but in fact, the, the, the smart contract is there as the last barrier. And so we felt we are quite actually different. We're actually much more open, transparent than a hardware wallet. You have no way to check what's in your hardware wallet. You have no idea. So on one end, people talk about this wall garden, but the wall garden that are hardware wallet, because you can't really... It's um, it's security by obfuscation. It's very hard to pick into your hardware wallet and see what you have. Actually, is much more opaque than what a smart contract wallet would be. So this ensures security transparency. I think in terms then of what can we do in the App Store, there are limitations. We know the stories of, uh, I think it's Coinbase that mentioned they might have to remove their that browser. I think we knew what we were getting in. We've worked with Apple for now seven years, I believe. There are rules uh, and you need, unfortunately, to play by these rules. I think there is hope for the crypto ecosystem. It's the first time, that, uh, I think it started last year, that Apple had crypto rules. So, and you know, they're not be- maybe not yet the best, but at least there are crypto rules. They, are, they have acknowledged that crypto exists and is there to stay. So I think things will improve and we'll be able to get more flexibility. But of course... Buying game assets using ETH is is probably not something you will see next year because in-app purchase is the business uh, of the App Store and virtual goods have to be paid through in-app purchase. I see some trends where it seems like Apple is going into the direction of allowing more crypto apps in the App Store. Like, for instance, uh, Pepo, our, our sponsor, was recently uh, launched and you know uses a cryptocurrency as payment. Of course, there's no DAP browser there, and you know what you can do with the cryptocurrency in the app is actually quite limited. But then we're seeing apps like you know MetaMask and like Status is delayed, and it, it seems like there's some blockage there to get the app pushed into the App Store. I hope that things will go in the way uh, that they did sort of like in 2014. I think it was when at some point. Apple decided, hey, we're like we're going to let people have Bitcoin wallets in here because there's no threat to our business model. But you know, if DeFi gets big enough that you know people using these apps are there's a I'm blanking on the English word here, but manque gagné. <laughs> Maybe you can help me. Because <laughs> of opportunity cost. Right. If there's an opportunity cost that they're losing out on, then you know maybe that would be a little bit harder to get these apps to start getting through. I want to also get your thoughts on other uh, wallets that have sort of similar recovery schemes to that of Arjun, specifically like uh, threshold signature-based wallets. Do you see these as a strict alternative to smart contract wallets? Are they strictly on different planets? Or are there opportunities for these two technologies to augment each other in a way? Yeah, so I think they sit at the a different layer. So we looked at uh, threshold signature. There's... There was a lot of interesting work done in the past two years. This is the recovery of the key. While the wallet, think about the, the smart contract wallet almost as some kind of bank account. I, I don't like the world, but a non-custodial bank account. And it gives you all these features, this ability to block transfer, to have daily limit, to abstract gas, etc., etc. Treasure signature doesn't play a role on that layer. It plays really a role on the pure recovery of, of your key or of your account. When we looked at that we, we had a wish list of what it had to achieve and we were just not happy with it were missing some elements. It was non-custodial, but it's not censorship resistant. So for us, that's not really non-custodial. For us, non-custodial means I cannot access your funds, but I cannot prevent you from accessing your funds. And most of the model around Treasure Signature would allow the providers to prevent you from accessing the fund. We were just not comfortable. We felt, let's start with a smart contract wallet. We can always decide to add a treasure signature on top of that, maybe for recovery keys, but still 
not being able to prevent you from accessing your funds, which is why we launched the Argent Emergency Kit. If Argent disappeared, our backend disappears, we can't relay transaction. You can use your phone almost like a hardware wallet. You sign the transaction and then you use MetaMask or MetaWallet, MyCrypto to send the transaction. That was really, really important for us, which is why we, it was part of our decision to go in that direction. Can you talk about that emergency kit? I wasn't very, I wasn't aware of that. One worry of early users, which is really fair, was if Argent disappear, our infrastructure, we relay transaction. You sign them with your phone and our backend takes that signature and sends it to the blockchain. That's how we pay for gas. That's what a meta transaction is. I don't think the worry was um, Argent disappearing. We are well funded. We, we will be there for many, many years. But it's more, you know, government comes and, say, and freeze our servers or something like that. Then you cannot make a transfer. So early days. The answer to that was a bit clunky. Yes, you had to have, if you have a hardware wallet or MetaMask as a guardian, you can start a recovery by interacting with a smart contract. So philosophically and technically, the model was non-custodial, but this is really clunky. I mean, interacting with a smart contract, I wouldn't know today in five minutes how to do it. I would need some help, some good documentation. It would take some time. So what we did is the emergency kit. It's live on iOS and soon on Android. You open the app, you leave your, you say, I want to send all my funds to, me, to that address. And instead of tapping the button, button send, you leave your button push for 10 seconds. And suddenly you will have a window with a signed transaction. You copy paste that, you put it in, a, in any other wallet in the data field, and you suddenly are triggered. You are relaying your own transaction. A bit like you would do with the other wallet. You sign with the other wallet, but you send it with your laptop. You could do the same. And for us, that was again, to that same philosophy of being fully non-custodial and also putting us in ourselves in a situation when where we cannot harm you. And that's the same with your question on, on the closed ecosystem of Apple. Because the smart contracts are public, everything on chain, we cannot harm you. And again here, even if someone forces us to harm you to say, no, you cannot uh, let that person access their fund, we wouldn't be able to do it. That's actually super neat. I had no idea that existed. So it's like having like an inbuilt parity signer, but basically all the derivation parts and so are clear. So I, I think that's a super cool thing to have. Let me move on a bit to the DeFi space. Do you do analytics on your users? Do you know what they do within your wallet? And has this changed over the course of uh, the last year or so? Because I mean, so many things have changed in DeFi, right? So our main analytic uh, is actually on-chain activity. That's actually the most exciting. And, uh, and often we learn more on our wallet sometimes from tweets from other people. Uh, like recently, there have been some tweets on uh, wallet activation. But we also have anonymous activity on, uh, you know, are people stuck in onboarding? Or are people tapping compound and all that? But things like, is, are they actually putting money in DAI in Compound or in DSR? All of that is actually on-chain activity. So it's just so transparent that uh, it's easy to track. And um, if I understand well, your question was, therefore, is DeFi a big part of the activity? Or, uh... Oh, no, basically, just has it changed a lot? Because basically, the DeFi space is so quick changing, right? I don't think we are illustrative enough of the market because what happened to us is we had a wallet where you could only, I mean, like any wallet that we saw as useless, you could only store send and receive. You couldn't do anything with Argent. So obviously, uh, people would put some ease in there and that, that's it because people don't use yet crypto for payment. The minute we launched Compound, everything's changed. Everyone would, I mean, we would have that same flow. People would to put $1, put it in Compound, remove it, put it out of Compound, uh, out of the wallet. They would test the full flow. Oh, it worked. It was easy. Now I can put real money. 
And then you have people putting hundreds of dollars, thousands, hundred thousand of dollars. So it was really suddenly it became that mix of a as this shift between is it cold or hot wallet? Is it like my wallet for $50 or my ledger for 100K? I think got blurred and people would suddenly put large amount of money, very large amount of money because it was so simple to have it in compound and earn interest. And at the same time, it's in your pocket at any time you can, you have that peace of mind. You know the money is there. What kind of bigger trends are you seeing in DeFi and are you seeing you know, your users, are you seeing the reflection of those trends in uh, the way people are using the app? No, we, there are many more protocols and we see more people getting very curious about this new, I think it's still an experimentation phase. Once we launch all these other protocols within Arjun, it will be quite ex- interesting to see how users behave. Right now, it's very limited and savings is really the main use case. In terms of trends, Lending was a big trend, and so now you have more and more lending protocols. I think it's there to stay. I think the whole area of synthetics. Um, I was listening actually to your interview of the synthetics team, uh, which was very interesting. Uh, I think it's again, it's an experiment, uh, and I think it will be very interesting to see how our users in our gen that are maybe. Now, we have a bigger mix of less advanced users. People are just a bit curious. Uh, it will be interesting to see how they behave faced with maybe more complex products. I'm a big fan of of simple products. I mean, that's what the power of token set, for example, again, is that you just, anyone can understand. It's like buying some kind of index or robot trader. So for me, any products that can really appeal to a wider part of the population, I find it quite interesting, but the savings account is probably the easiest to sell. I think this is one of the things we had talked about during our panel was at the time, and I still do kind of, I was arguing that there aren't very many uh, non-crypto users in the crypto space. It's mostly people who are like either building on the technology or working on the technology. And so it's this kind of like this bubble. What's your user base like? I suppose it's mostly crypto people, but are you seeing non-crypto people just utilizing the app in order to benefit from you know, these great interest rates that they can uh, gain from uh, by leveraging crypto and uh, DeFi? No, I think people have for a long time say usability of crypto or scalability of crypto is not good enough. That's why there's no mass adoption. I think the hard truth is that that's not the reason. I mean, my mom can use Argent. It's not more complex than N26. I should say my dad. I think my mom is even more uh, technical. Uh, but my parents can use it, and but they have no reason to use it. They have no reason to use it. So savings, interest rates are interesting. But I think the on-ramp is still too clunky, not just in terms of user experience, but fees. Uh, when you put money from your uh, bank account to N26 or when you put money to Robinhood, you are not suddenly losing 2-3% uh, in fees. Moving money should be free. So I think until and, and if you make the mass, my on-ramp to die, my off-ramp to die, then your interest rate starts to be much, much less interesting. The mass don't, don't add up. That's probably the last bit that we need to solve. We need a frictionless on-ramp uh, to stable coin that is free to users. It cannot cost. Now, that was for us really an, uh, almost an experiment at start, but that's why we launched in the US on-ramp through to bank transfer with zero fees. That's harder for us. We subsidize the on-ramp, but we felt that's really the only way that we can get more people uh, to try it. We haven't yet implemented the off-ramp, but once you have both ways, with no fees, then I think you can start talking to less crypto savvy people. So right now, our audience is still 
Think about people who had, had ETH, maybe in an, probably in an exchange, uh, some, a lot of them, but they've never gone beyond. We have the MetaMask users, we have all these type of users, but we also have these people who going to MetaMask is one step further. They see that more as a developer tool. They want the simplicity of the centralized exchange, but for more advanced use cases, like for example, um, I mean, DeFi savings, etc. We ha- still haven't cracked this sort of mass adoption question. I mean, for me, I, I feel like the apps that are most interesting and that I would like to see adopted are the uh, the sort of self sovereignty apps. Uh, so things like Status or Saya, where essentially you you leverage blockchain to improve your privacy, and these are things that people can actually use. Whereas DeFi. You know, it's this sort of financial use case. Some would argue, and I somewhat believe that the sort of underlying value isn't really there. But I guess we'll see how that develops. I also have a question as to this. So, do you see the frictionless on and off ramp as the thing that will solve the mass adoption problem? Because where crypto comes from ideologically is more this self sovereign idea that uh, Sebastian just talked about, right? So, basically, it, it wasn't about the couple of percentage points you can get more than on US dollar holdings or something. And I would also argue economically that as soon as there is a large influx of previously non-crypto money, this discrepancy in uh, the money market percentage rates is going to go away by and large. Do you think it's going to be like a quick boon where basically a couple of million people more flow in and basically everything DeFi kind of goes away? Or do you think it's going to be a real paradigm shift? I agree with a lot of what you just said, actually. First, crypto, mass adoption is not a binary thing. It's not, they won't be like a pre-mass adoption and post-mass adoption. They are like, it's like an energy wall. Each time you pass one of these wall of friction, you will get to the next one and will gradually grow. So on-ramp, off-ramp, very slick, will get more people uh, in DeFi. They'll be curious. They'll put dollar. They don't need to speculate anymore. And suddenly they can get high interest rate. Indeed, there's not enough uh, trader in the world because to, for Compound or uh, to work, you, you need both sides. You need people to want to do margin trading, leverage, and therefore they will borrow. You don't have enough in the whole world to create this great this interest rate. One caveat on that, however, is if you start growing the type of assets, I mean, margin trading exists in the traditional uh, stock market. The difference is I don't get that money. You know, the broker gets that or whatever app you use for that. Uh, here, we need to see the value in having removed all the middlemen through compounds. I interact directly with this trader. But indeed, the interest rate will crash. If everyone needs die, suddenly the, they might be changed on the DSR rates, etc. You're right. It will lower, but suddenly you will get a new wave of people. Fundamentally, I think a financial system that is open source, permissionless, is mind-blowing. So it, for me, it's there to stay. That's one there are many exciting stuff happening now. This is an amazingly exciting stuff. The fact that the team of three developers can suddenly build a new financial product and it might not be Compon and DSR getting to a billion people. They will get to some people and then other projects will get to more and more. So I think there's fundamentally something fascinating there. In our mission, you know, we talk about assets and identity. So I couldn't agree more that you now this notion of finding use case where you have self-sovereign identity is core of what we do. 
interacting with dApps through Wallet Connect is an element of that. At the end, you have that thing in your pocket that allows you to own your money, own your identity, and decide who can access what data. I think this will take time because, again, we'll need to find use case. We'll need to find specific apps that user wants to use. We'll not get straight away a big Web2 Reddit uh, allowing uh, Web3 wallet login straight away. I think it will first be uh, dApps and bit by bit that might grow the user base. And hopefully we can then move on for to other you know, it might be that we start with gaming. A good game attracting 100 million users is possible. And then from there, you have 100 million people with self-sovereign identity and they want to use it on Twitch. And so Twitch will feel pressure to use that and bit by bit, it could expand. So, you know, we need to start somewhere. Yeah, and we haven't even mentioned the fact that Argent also has collectibles. So you can also have collectibles within Argent. And this is, I think, where there's perhaps uh, some interactions with the gaming space. I wanted to ask you another thing too, which you mentioned earlier and sort of people using hardware wallet and testing Argent with like small amounts of money and progressively putting larger amounts of money in it. I love Argent as a product. I, I use Argent. I use other uh, mobile wallets as well. But there's something about it that I feel very reluctant, even though sort of I know that it's secure and I know that there's this social recovery. I feel reluctant to put all my crypto in there. And I'm still somewhat attached to my hardware wallet. Maybe it's just because I'm, I've been in the space for a long time and that's just the way we did it back then. But like, are you seeing people's mental model shift and trusting their mobile wallet to hold like, you know, significant amounts of their crypto holdings or are, are people still a little bit reluctant to moving their funds there? So first, we don't always know where they come from, of course. I mean, in your case, you have already made the investment, not in terms of money, but creating that setup with a hardware wallet. You have set up your OPSEC in a way that, uh, you know, you probably, I hope, have your seed in a very secure way. Uh, so you made that investment. So honestly, I have no problem then with you using a hardware wallet. It's just not something that a billion people can do in a secure way. You have to realize that in most wallets, I mean, the biggest storage of this phrase is, is people camera roll. That's where people store seed phrase. If it's a phone wallet, they take a screenshot. I mean, hardware wallet, it, in some way, because it's so clunky to see these 24 words, they cannot take a screenshot and that's good news. But then uh, this seed phrase is in their desk. So a hardware wallet where your seed phrase is just visible on your desk or in a, on a post-it is not secure. And not because of the hardware, because that's where the seed phrase is. So first, I think people getting there end up with a very insecure. You need to be very careful in suggesting to people to use a hardware wallet if they are not trained, I would say, or savvy enough to use it. And uh, not everyone should be. We should create softwares and tools and make it very easy. We see users, as I say, with more than $100,000 in Argent. There are people putting maybe $200,000, depends on the week, would be the highest part of the sweet spot. We're not a tool for millions in the sense, often when it's millions, you need access policy, it belongs to a fund, they need a base on the amount. You would use a tool like Multis. If it's a million dollar that needs to move, you need all the, you need the CEO. If it's a smaller amount, you need two, two mid-level people. I don't know, it's a different setup. We see people putting more money. I think with time, you know, we do what we can, of course, more audits starting. We have a team now working on formal verification with part of the wallet, small parts being formally verified and more and more uh, coverage will come. And then doing additional audits by different teams. And then more and more funds will come in the wallet, more trust will come with that. So it's just, it's a new model. 
that people are not used. But inherently, I think for many, many people, it is a more secure option. If you look at the full big picture of the hardware they use, their OPSEC, etc., it becomes a more secure option. Yeah, maybe I need to review my OPSEC. You mentioned a couple of things there that kind of <laughs> the light bulbs went yeah, off. I but, can yeah. see on the back your seat phrase there on your... <laughs> on <laughs> this that is only audio. There. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have it on a, on, a, on a post-it, but for a lot of people entering the space, maybe... I think there's this sort of thing that if you were around when you still had to like buy an air gap laptop and put armory on it, that there's this kind of notion that like that's the only way to store your keys. But maybe like people that have come into the space later that didn't know that time in crypto are perhaps more comfortable. It could be also a generational thing. I don't know. Just to be clear, I mean, I, I love my hardware wallet. I have a hardware wallet. We have them in the team. We use them sometimes as guardians. They are a good device to store a key. And in that, I don't need to write down the seed because I can lose it because I have other guardians. So it's a different use case for us. They're a great device for people that know how to use them, basically. The problem with hardware wallets is also that you basically have to trust that they still work in five years, right? So basically, I mean, ideally, you won't need them. But I mean, even if you have the, the seed phrase somewhere and basically your treasure kind of is not recognized by your computer anymore or something, you still have to find out how you actually go from the seed phrase to the private key. And I think that's something that you don't necessarily want to have to do. I think we will hear many horror stories. I mean, hardware wallets will fail like any electronic we own. You know, they do not last 10, 15 years. None of the our phones, our TVs, everything. It's little bits of plastic that will pop out of that. We, we see hardware wallets every day being reset and we need to put back the seed. And then people will realize that ink also doesn't last and that that piece of paper that they had with ink is not readable anymore or that uh, it got wet or, it got, or they will have no clue uh, where it is. Crypto steal is where it's at. <laughs> exactly. And so I think there are some people to who it will fit the same way that some people might have an actual vault, metal steel vault at home. Most people don't have that and we're putting cash under the pillow before banks were there. And I hope we're not you know, ending up in a space where people will put a seed phrase under the mattress. Back in my day, we kept our seed phrase under our mattresses. <laughs> I, can hear, I can hear this in the future sometime. <laughs> Argent is kind of like a, I see it as kind of like a crypto custody or self-custody crypto bank. And I wonder if you also see it this way. And, and if you envisage a future where Argent and other apps like Argent start also developing their own DeFi products and services, you know, kind of like a bank does, right? Because the business model here in DeFi, I mean, just generally in the space, business models, I think are hard. If you guys are able to capture a lot of the business models that sort of revolve around DeFi, whether that's like issuing your own uh, synthetic assets or offering staking services or something like that, you can build an ecosystem within Argent where it's kind of like your one-stop shop for all your DeFi needs. Is that the, the direction where you're seeing things or how do you see the future here? All that makes sense. Yes, you could, you know, you have the users, they are there in your app, you could offer them access to a new protocol that you have built. I think there are several things to think about here. First, if we end up in a world where every wallet is a walled garden with their own protocol, we probably failed. And I don't think that's the, you know, I don't think we can be smart and creative enough to come with all the best protocol ideas uh, in the world. 
that's a bit how it is, right? I mean, if it, I mean, you can move funds from one wallet to another, but I can't like port my Argent smart contract to another wallet, right? Or in the future, you will be able to interact with more and more, I would say all protocols, they don't need to be built by Argent. You can use the compound savings, the DSR savings. It doesn't need to be the Argent savings. So if we create something where you can only interact with my protocols on my Argent layer two, it's very attractive, I'm sure, as a business, but I think it's probably not uh, what will bring the most value to users. Yes, there might be a day where we say, okay, we need that feature. We want to, there's a need. What's the best way to deliver that need? I can partner in a permissionless world is different. I can basically integrate Compound DSR. We felt that's the best way to fulfill that need. Maybe one day we'll see a need that is not fulfilled well enough by existing protocol and we'll say, let's build it internally. I think being open enough access to a global ecosystem is really what we're excited about. So could we build protocols? Yes. Would we end up in a world where that's the only thing you can do in the wallet? Definitely not. Last question, Itama. So what's the roadmap for Arjun for the next couple of years? Let's start by one year. A <laughs> couple of years, that's like... Whew. Okay, what do you hope to achieve by end of 2020? Three big things we want to deliver on. It might be sooner than end of 2020, but we want to deliver first on removing that waitlist. So that's happening soon. More DeFi. We've been very clear that Arjun should be uh, the place where you can access to all of DeFi. So we are working right now on making this happen. That's probably one of our top priorities. The third one, and that's a bit more related to your point of identity, we still want to do much more work on solving DAP onboarding. Uh, so you will see towards the second half of the year more projects around really solving how people interact with DAPs and especially onboard with DAPs. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm uh, looking forward to what Arjun will have in store for us, uh, you know, over the course of uh, the next year. Thanks for having me. It was really awesome. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We release new episodes every week. You can find and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a Google Home or Alexa device, you can tell it to listen to the latest episode of the Epicenter podcast. Go to epicenter.tv slash subscribe for a full list of places where you can watch and listen. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for the newsletter so you get new episodes in your inbox as they're released. If you want to interact with us, guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. And please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps people find the show, and we're always happy to read them. So thanks so much, and we look forward to being back next week. <laughs>